All right. Here we go. Quiet. Problem. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and try to put it all into some sort of context. <laughs> Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. Oh, it's seated across the microphone from me, as always, is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief, Rich Trees! <laughs> Hi, Rich. Welcome back to the airwaves after 10 minutes. I know. Well, okay, peek behind the curtain if you weren't paying attention in the last episode. We filmed last week's episode and this week's back-to-back. Um, so we're probably which means be a we're getting punchy. drunker as the night goes on. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say punchy. I wasn't gonna necessarily indicate that there is um adult beverages being imbibed. Well, well, well but... this has now become drunk podcast. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Although that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a movie. We'll we'll do a retro review of Lost Weekend, and we'll do it drunk. We'll see how that goes. Wait, what? What's Lost Weekend? The classic film about alcoholism with Ray Milland. Oh, dearie, dearie, dearie. As long as we do it back to back with another round, we. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great double feature. Yeah, it, it is actually. <laughs> Wait a minute, you know, you should know. Um, Lost weekend because we did the um we went to the bar in New York that the the bar in the movie was based on. Remember? Just because I've seen oh. I've been to the bar doesn't mean I've seen the movie. I know, but you should have remembered when I explained it all to you last time. Look, the last time I had to talk about that bar, I actually asked you what the name of it was. Which mm-hmm. anyway, shit, what's the name? Um, crap. Now I'm blanking on it. Oh well. But we're not here I to fucking s- remember it. I know. <laughs> PJ Flannery's or some some PJ Clark. PJ Clark's. That's there it. There you yeah, go. There okay. We are. There we are. All right. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to talk about New York dive bars. Why not? Th- uh, th- that would be a much more fun podcast. Wow, <laughs> that's hurtful. Um, it's New York. I know that's true. We'd have to go and do a lot of research first. I'm down with that. That just means more time in New York City. What are you talking about? That's true. We could go to that place off the ba- off the um off the Bowery that we went to during that one Tribeca. Oh my god, where they right played the, the German cr- version of Itty Bitty Petite Bikini. Itty Bitty Teeny Weeny po- Yellow Fucking Off Bikini. Oh, whatever. Yeah. But it was around the corner from um where CBGB's used to be. It was beautiful. It was all it was wood, bar. kind of like a 19 uh, 1700s bar like pub probably built then yes yeah and they kept it in pretty good condition Mm -hmm. it's a great little dive bar Mm -hmm. to sit there for an afternoon there was definitely a couple down in um tribeca when we were trying to get to Mm -hmm. the office to get our badges that we passed and i was like oh trying to remember about that one yeah the one looked like it was an old blacksmith pavilion Mm mm-hmm Yeah, there are some really cool places. But enough about talking about dive bars. I think today's episode, we are actually planning to talk about um, a film franchise uh, that was launched 20 years ago this month, in which someone heads out into a magical world of adventure and danger. And of course, that film is... Percy Jackson? No. Aw. Damn it. No. 
That film is... Lord of the Rings. Or Harry Potter. Both include dive bars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> the Prancing Pony and the Three Broomsticks. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But let's... <laughs> Yes. Let's take a look here at these two movies, because <laughs> um, I think it's interesting that you know they both came out at around the same time, both based on um, fantasy series from British authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both have a certain vibe to them. There's um, there's a history in both of those things. A there, there's a lot building. of great world building. Yeah, and I don't think it's, I don't think. Harry Potter and the um, Sorcerer's Stone gives us that all at once. Um, there's a lot of onion layers that are peeled back over a long period of time. I would agree with those that. many films. Um, Harry learns nothing about the wizarding world until he needs to know it. It's never like, oh yeah, somebody told me about that six months ago, and I just had that little bit of knowledge in the back of my brain about gillyweed or whatever yeah but he also doesn't pay attention to the things that he (laughs) he damn well should be yeah and and that's him and ron they're i hate to say it they're being teenage boys um whereas hermione does all the book knowledge for them yeah she i'm so glad that uh jk rowling gave hermione like actual character arcs because that character is really close and in danger of being just the walking exposition yeah um but you know comparatively i think to something like lord of the rings and fellowship of the rings we get the world building is kind of there peter jackson i think and his team at weta did a lot of development in terms of uh, the production design to suggest a lot of the world building that Tolkien had done when he was creating Elvish languages and then going, well, I should probably write a book to use this stuff. Well, here's a big problem with making that comparison. Hmm. Um, Those books were completed over 14 year time span before they were even published all three at once. Mm -hmm. Almost sev- 60 to 70 years before the movies. Yeah. Whereas Harry Potter, as the movies are coming out, the books are still being written. True. True. And I, therefore, I don't think it's a fair comparison to make because even J.K. Rowling herself, to a certain extent, didn't know what she was going to do with a lot of that knowledge. So she couldn't give it to the director to say, hey, utilize this because this is going to become super important later on because she didn't know it was going to become super important. Well, there were a few things. There were um, a couple. Steve Clovis, you know, we've talked about this before. Snape. Talked to, well, yes. She she went and talked to Alan Rickman about, yeah. you know, this is Snape's real story. Uh, but Steve Clovis off, often in an interview I saw mentioned that um, she, he gave her a draft of the script. She looked and said, you cut Something he wouldn't say what it was. Um, you cut this, but you're going to want to put this back in because it's going to be very important in book six or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it might have been Dobby. I think he might have cut Dobby out of Chamber of Secrets. Out of Chamber of Secrets because Dobby and the House Elves become much more important. Yeah, later they do. On down the road, very much do. Yeah, that's one of the differences. And it, and 
just saying, you know, they were making the movies while she's still writing the books. It reminded me of not Game of Thrones, which also. <laughs> That's what I thought yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Harlan Ellison once did a thing where he went to a bookstore, sat in like the display window in the front of the bookstore and started writing a short story. And as he would go along, he taped up each page as he finished it. And he did this over the space of a weekend. So he had to know the story he was going to write all the way through because he couldn't go back and revise anything because he was just putting it out page by page for people to come by and read as he was doing it. Um, That's an impressive detail. Can we use that somewhere in a script? <laughs> True. You and, know you want to. And Joe Straczynski, uh, creator of Babylon 5, had to know his story arc to know – and he's talked about this, and he cited the uh, Harlan Ellison example because he was friends with Ellison. He cited, you know, that same thing. It was like, look, I knew where this story was going, so I could be able to, in season one and two, drop things and start setting things up that don't get paid off for another year or two down the road. Um, so that was what Rowling was trying to juggle, whereas, you know, Peter Jackson with Lord of the Rings had that full – uh, compendium. Compendium. He had the full world already handed to him. Yeah. So, so he so could pick and choose what yeah. he needed to use in order to create a complete story without overstuffing it. Yeah. And you get a sense of history like when they arrive at um, Weathertop mm -hmm. and they're doing the camping there before they're attacked by the ringwraiths. You you kind of look and go, wow, there's there's a history there because this is an old ruin and something had to be there. You don't need to know like the history of um, Andor and all that stuff from the first and second age. No, but and, they do you know, give Amansu you that one and, line that Strider says, which this was the old watchtower of Amensu. Mm -hmm. That's all you needed. Yeah. Bam. And, and the way, you know, Viggo Mortensen delivered that line, the way everything just kind of comes together and you get that sense of history. And also the placement of that watchtower, too, showed that it had the perfect vantage points on all four sides. Well, yes. Um, and that's just – and that's exactly described in Tolkien. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for better or for worse, you don't get that with the Harry Potter films. No. You know, that does have a bit more of the um, – you, you mentioned about the continuity of the outside of Hogwarts itself <laughs> changes from film to film. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you're right because around um, – Somewhere close to three and four, that's when it really starts to take on a life that stays consistent. Yeah. I th I think, you know, and I, you know, I'm not read any of the Harry Potter books. I should mm -hmm. throw that out there. I've read Tolkien multiple times. The books are, they are filled with a lot of world building. Um, a lot more than you see in mm -hmm. the movies. Like a thousand times. Oh, I'm more. sure. I'm sure. Um, it, she so, does a beautiful job with creating this world. Mm -hmm. So that makes me wonder, though, why why weren't the filmmakers utilizing more of that over time? Um, and I think it comes down to because world building and Lord of the Rings has a great cast of characters that most of them are not present. They kind of pop in and out. Mm -hmm. um, like in Two Towers, um, obviously Arwen gets a, a bigger 
a, a bigger storyline in the movies than she has in the books. Then you also have like Elrond and Galadriel pop in and out. They don't really need to be there at that moment. But in Lord of the Rings, you have a larger cast of characters that is there almost full time. Um, and so giving everyone their meal within a two and a half hour time span gets a little difficult to do. Okay, I'm trying to think of how that was relating to what I was saying, though, in terms of... You were of, talking about the world building of, of time. Yeah. The problem is, is when you come down to it, you can't deal with, oh, what about the history of this or this? It doesn't matter. You have to stick with the characters because there's so much to get through in a limited time. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about in the feel of the film, though. I My, my problem with, like, the Chris Columbus films, the first two Harry Potter films, mm -hmm. is they feel very reverential towards the books they don't feel like they're allowed to be movies on their own it's like hey here's you know nearly headless nick because people like that from the movie but uh, from the books but what does nearly headless nick do ne he floats through dinner one night and people he needed, say hi to him and we get john cleese doing the gag he, with the he had to show up in the first film in order to make his petrification in chamber of secrets very it was very important because it utilized the water the water was a storytelling thing about the basilisk itself and and one of the students is petrified because he sees it through nearly hitless nick himself okay it's a reflection mm -hmm. um that's why he was in the first two and then disappeared is because he's he's not a character he's a plot point that was very important <laughs> that we needed to deal with mm -hmm. and then as soon as he his time is done we don't need him anymore mm -hmm. yeah, it just it just seemed like there was very it didn't it didn't feel like it was still kind of like overall breathing as a movie like i said um i'm not sure exactly how to say it it's just the impression i got um the first film it, is it, definitely it, for kids. Yeah, not gonna it, lie. it's it's not very. I don't want to say cinematic on a certain level, but it seems very staid. Um, it, it does. Do, feel it doesn't have an energy of its own. No, it does Outside of Wizard Chest, I would say. <laughs> oh my God, Wizard Chest is amazing, and Quidditch. The Quidditch, the Quidditch scene, scene does, yeah. doesn't yeah. does have That's, energy. It's not so much the energy; it's the look, it's the feel, it's the the setup of the visual. Of the world itself, mm -hmm. which is a mixture between Victorian England, um, 1940s Oxford and Cambridge, kind of that academic feel. And then you have to throw the modern world into it. And when I say modern, I mean mid-90s into it. Yeah. Um, and take those three, mix them up in a pot, and what you've got is the cookies. Mm -hmm. Uh <laughs> Or the chocolate frogs, whichever way you want to do it. <laughs> but, um, so you've got, I would say that this is closer to Narnia than it is with Lord of the Rings. And that was something that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to have a fight over, was the use of creatures from mythology. 
Mm-hmm. C.S. Oh, Lewis yeah. loved the idea of mixing and matching, bringing in this from you know the the fawns from from Greek mythology and Here's this from Father this Christmas and, to hand the kids some weapons. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were joking and, and, about it. And mermaids and and you know there there was just so much going on at mm-hmm. once. And Tolkien kind of threw down the gauntlet. It was just like, no, you don't do that. You have to kind of create a, a stable civilization instead of just mishmash. And I, I would say that Lord of the Rings is definitely a little more mishmash. Um, it, you bring in, you're bringing in centaurs. You're bringing you in mean Harry Potter. Yeah, and that's what I meant. Harry, what did I say? You said Lord of the Rings being Sorry. the mishmash. Yeah. No, Harry. no, Harry okay. Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Harry Potter is more of the mishmash. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're bringing in centaurs. You're bringing in um, mandrakes. You're you're bringing in three-headed dogs. And yeah, you, well, here's a little bit of Greek mythology. Uh, Cerberus, and, yeah. yes. And and then you're throwing it in with witches and wizards mm-hmm. and like a griffin-like character, which is a hippogriff. But- but but to get back to the, like the Tolkien C.S. Lewis thing, Tolkien was about creating a new mythology for England. Mm-hmm. He was like, England doesn't have its own real mythology outside of um, Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted to do something you know similar and just be like a creative uh, as a creative exercise. C.S. Lewis was just basically looking to retell morality stories in a fantasy context. I think. I think um, they both but, do morality and, stories and you in can see, and, and both of them are Catholics. So you can see the Catholic influence in both their works. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, and I make the joke, Jesus the ma- – uh, Aslan the magic Jesus lion because um, that's yeah. a pretty obvious allegory of, you know, him sac- being sacrificed or sacrificing himself and then rising from the dead to, you know, lead to victory. Um, Tolkien's – Christian analogy is basically if you like get into deep into the Silmarillion, you get um, a creation myth, and the creation is marred by by um, a person who um, a, a being who is basically evil and wants to um, subvert creation for their own purposes, for their own rulership, for their own ego, and creation started off perfect and the world is constantly fighting against devolving into that stain of original sin and um, I mean that's all in there and that is the background that enforces uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a total because Sauron is actually like that evil person's chief lieutenant and you know Thousands of years ago, there were big, giant, you know, battles between basically angels, the Valar, and um, Morgoth, who's basically the Satan figure. And Sauron was like one of his lieutenants. And, it, you know, it it dissolve, devolves down to where we are in the Third Age with the rings of power and temptation and uh, the temptation of evil and things like that. So there's a lot of... Tolkien's Catholicism baked into Lord of the Rings on very allegorical levels, mm. um, which I think surprises people when I bring it up sometimes. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that Peter Jackson kind of kept that in the movies. Um, 
the temptation of the ring yeah. is, is apparent through um, Boromir, mm-hmm. Galadriel, and so many others yes. along the way of how it's able to speak and whisper and affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, and, and you have, and and you have way- Galadriel saying no and resisting that temptation. You have... Gandalf resisting that temptation. Boromir who falls and, prey to and it Boromir and then immediately can't. regrets yeah. it. Yes. And you know, I think that's 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 a very powerful uh, idea that kind of goes through fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get much of it later on until, you know, you slowly see uh in the third film, you know, Bilbo or excuse me, Frodo succumbing to it slowly and you know how that become he becomes like involved in a tug of war between Sam and Gollum but you know just i want to kind of circle back though to fellowship versus harry potter and the sorcerer's stone well when it comes down to temptation mm-hmm. harry potter has their own version of that okay um and i would say it's in the use of the horcruxes and that it, that's more of a, an idea that plays out over time in in the films themselves, not so much in Sorcerer's Stone, but starting in Chamber of Secrets, is the items that people fall prey to, um, the the journal of Tom Riddle in Chamber of Secrets. Ginny falls prey to that. Mm-hmm. She writes and writes and pours her heart out every day into that journal. She has someone who talks to her through it, who whispers back sweet nothings that she becomes brainwashed and gives herself over to this person without even realizing she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in a weird way, that parallel is still there. It's just done a little bit different. And because this is a coming-of-age film, um, obviously the story has to be handled with a little more tact, I would say, (laughs) because you're dealing with the idea of kids. Yeah. Um, This isn't it. (laughs) This was 10 years before that was allowed. Um, (laughs) But no, I think think there's a lot to be learned now that I've recently started going back and rewatching Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels more, I, I, I love Lord of the Rings. I really do. I, I love its world building. I love that. It's always there if I want to escape, but Harry, as I've been going back and rewatching it, it's making me feel, <sighs> It's making me feel like a kid again, kind of growing up and and it was a it was definitely a strong connection between me and my family. Mm-hmm. Every year it would come out and we would go see it immediately. Um, I I was a big Potterhead as a kid. I was there oh, I for know. the the midnight release of Deathly Hallows in costume. <laughs> But no, I'm 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 reliving all of this, and it's there were things I missed. The energy mm-hmm. changes throughout the films as they get darker. As as you notice, Alfonso Cuarón has energy. Like holy shit, yeah. is when, bouncy. When we get to, when we get to the third movie in Harry Potter, it's like mm-hmm. it's like a whole. It's like okay, this is where the franchise should be. Mm-hmm. This is you know, and 
but we're also in preteen now, so we can start to to yeah. play with those ideas. There's, yeah, there's. It can also be seen as hormonal too. Char- yeah. <laughs> no, I, not, uh, not just well, that, not just the flirtiness of the movie. I'm talking gobble, hormonal as in up here just I was bouncing say, around. Of fire, Ron gets a little horny. So. They're all getting horny. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> they're 14 year olds. Of course, yeah. they're getting horny. But they're dealing with high emotions, mm-hmm. and I think the first two is kind of a little more calm because they're still in the kid phase whereas when we get to three things start going haywire you're easy to anger you're easy to become flustered and flush Mm -hmm. easy to get upset as we see at the end of um, the yule ball with hermione like she's arguing with ron turns on harry where have you been never mind off to bed the both of you it was just like damn shit Yeah. yeah, it's because they're starting to realize deeper feelings. Uh, well, between her and Ron, and she's not ready to acknowledge that yet. So that frustration, that scaredness about this, even him, his it turns fear to of anger. Not, yeah. yeah, his. We were talking recently about how in Goblet of Fire, because you've been rewatching them too. Mm-hmm. Ron is very whiny. I don't see him being whiny. He's pissed and he's jealous that he is always third in the group. Mm-hmm. Harry is, you know, the boy who lived. He gets all the glory and all the wonder. Everybody's all, everybody knows him. Yeah. And Even- Hermione's starting to get out of her shell. And he feels like he's being left behind. Mm-hmm. He's not as good as Harry. He will never be good enough to be seen in Hermione's eyes. He's got feelings for her, but still kind of sees her as the awkward friend mm-hmm. who's just like oh well she's always going to be there i can i can ask her last if if i need to it, it's 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 a weird I, I think goblet is where we really start to see a change in these characters mm-hmm. and that's between that goblet and prisoner of azkaban though you know, that's where they start to become complex characters. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes that interesting. Yeah. That's what that's what makes the franchise interesting to me. Yeah, the first two were all set up. They needed yeah, to it's, be. It's a lot of setup, yeah. Um although two, I will admit, is fucking dark as shit. Chamber of Secrets still fucking terrifies me. Mm. And it's beautiful. The whole chamber sequence from the moment Harry goes down into the actual chamber itself is that's stunning. an incredible set. Yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, he's just like, holy crap. You know? I know you were worried about the animatronicness of the actual basilisk mm-hmm. when it gets up close and personal with Daniel Radcliffe because the look on his eyes is sheer fucking terror. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, please tell me that was real and not CGI. Yeah. Um, you know, and there, there's things too that's like, you know, and you made comment about this too when um, in goblet of fire the the sequence where harry's in the bath and then moaning myrtle shows up and and he's like has one horny ghost (laughs) yeah that is one (laughs) horny ghost and that's like and i'm kind of like are kids getting this or is this going right over their heads or is this going to be something they rediscover like when they turn 18 and rewatch these movies for the first time in five years. Oh, I years got it. And be like, oh, oh. Well, I think they were kind of hoping that kids were going to jump in if if they had already been reading the books and they were just discovering the movies that 
maybe four might have been the first thing they saw, but they'll they'll go back and watch yeah. one. I was one of the few who didn't read the books, but my first film was Sorcerer's Stone mm-hmm. because that was the first one I was able to go see. And I stayed with it all the way to the yeah. end. And so by the time we got around to Goblet of Fire, Harry is 14 in the film. He's probably about 17 or 18 in real life. I was, that was what, 2005? I 2000, 2006, because yeah. David Tennant, that's, that was yeah. my pinger for that. Um, I would have been 11 at the time Mm -hmm. but you know you kind of (laughs) you kind of pick up on things even at 11 when your neighborhood kids are cussing and and you learn things from people talking gotcha (laughs) so yeah you you know well here's a question for you okay for generations to come which one is going to have more staying power because they both have really disappearing disappointing prequels yeah, uh, I was. I knew we were gonna at some point have to talk about uh, the Hobbit and um, uh, Fantastic Beasts, and uh, the less we talk about and them, the shit the of Grindelwald. <laughs> um, Sorry, that's okay. That's a good question because I think they both, as film franchises, both are very solid. I think, you know, one and two of Harry Potter is a little weak and shaky, but overall, you know, they're the you know, in taking that in total all eight parts, they're that's a solid franchise. It tells a good story. They stick the ending very well. Lord of the Rings, the same thing. Three movies, very good adaptions of the book. They um you know, where they need to prune and combine characters and they move do things very around. Well. It's very well. It really works as cinema, a great cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're both going to stick around. I don't think like one's going to fall off by the wayside. I mean, part of me, and this is maybe, maybe my inherent bias towards Tolkien showing, but maybe Harry Potter might fall off to the wayside a little bit more um, because only because it's kind of mired in a certain time in the 90s. That's a story that plays out through the 1990s, basically. And we see that in terms of clothing styles, things like that. So maybe 30, 40, 50 years down the road, people will look at it and see it as a period piece. Lord of the Rings, another land, another time entirely. It there's a there's that timeless quality to it that allows it to have a feel of legend, like Tolkien was trying to go for, a feel of mythology. It's you know, separate. It's not pin downable. So I think that might be something that would allow it to maybe have a bit more endurance versus Harry Potter. I don't think either it, is it, ever going to die. In the way that Star Wars has a certain perseverance. No, I, I don't think they're both of them are ever going to die. 
I think Lord of the Rings definitely, as you said, will pass into legend, into myth. It it can be an oral story mm-hmm. because there's just so much to it. Well, the problem is I mean, that's that, the conceit with the Red Book of Westmarch and yeah. everything in the, the books itself. But the problem itself is there is so much of it. Is it Tolkien is what you graduate into once you're done with Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. It it's it's a stronger world with mm. more to learn. You're never done with Tolkien. But Good God, I know that. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, they just had a new um collection of notes of his coming out what a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. But with Harry Potter, Harry Potter is always going to be a kid's first love because your parents introduce it to you. Mm-hmm. Um my husband's nephews are reading them for the first time with their parents right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. There there's that familial aspect there. And it's something that you can share. Mm-hmm. It it is definitely something that a parent can sit with a kid. We can read these like a bedtime story and we can watch the movie tomorrow night and we can visit their land down in Florida. We we can go there and the wonderment and amazement in a child's eyes is going to be stronger than a land that feels completely distant and untouchable. Except for the fact that Hobbiton the Hobbiton set still exists in New Zealand. Yeah, but it's and a little it's, more it's difficult more to of get a to. Schlep. Yes, I know. <laughs> and believe me, I've looked at airline fair i'm sure you uh, have (laughs) it's just like nope that's way beyond i need i need an hitherto unknown rich relative to die and leave me a chunk of change or never visit comic con again well let's not get crazy (laughs) okay well now we know where your uh where your priorities are (laughs) (laughs) which after seeing ghostbusters at comic con i can understand yeah (laughs) I wasn't going to bring that up, but... um, We just discussed it last week, or should I say an hour ago? I know. (laughs) But But I I think neither are ever going to leave us. And I... In in, in terms of books or the films? Both. Both? Okay. As I said, I I think the, the books of Harry Potter and the movies are something that you can pass on mm-hmm. generationally you can share it's a, it's something for the whole family and as your kids are growing up we can grow with them mm-hmm. whereas lord of the rings is kind of stuck my grandma watched harry potter with me she wouldn't touch lord of the rings yeah some people are just like ah, can't do elves and dragons and it, i understand it, it, that this it's so fine. separate that's the problem it's so separate Harry Potter is kind of timeless in its, yes, it's stuck in the 90s, but because of its Victorian roots and its our, our academic 1920s to 1940s roots there, it's it's all over the place. It's, it's okay. ingredients. Okay. And, um, and I do kind of see it as timeless for a kid when you get to an adult and you want – you know, stronger themes, stronger moral complexes that you need to deal with, then you go to Tolkien mm-hmm. because now you you have left childish things behind. Now, you, you say that, and I see your point, mm-hmm. but, you know. I don't think I you was... ever leave chi- uh, Harry Potter behind, though. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> as I said, I'm revisiting right now, and I nearly got teared up in front of you just thinking about it. I know. <laughs> um, but 
you know, for me, I was in third or fourth grade when, you know, my my elementary school principal basically shoved a copy of The Hobbit into my hands. And by junior high, so sixth grade, I was doing my first read-through of uh, Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King. I still have those paperbacks. They're battered beyond belief, and the covers are almost all falling off. But, um, you know, I still have them. I have decent reading copies now and, you know, a nice library copy of the books. Harry Potter was shoved into my hand by the teachers and the librarians. Lord of the Rings was something I had to discover on my own. Okay. I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> you I'm sorry you haven't read Harry Potter. I eh. I was in my 30s when it came out, for goodness so sake. What? I know, a lot of adults have read Harry Potter. It's just, I did not, I, I saw the movies because uh, I felt, I don't want to say I felt an obligation, a social obligation to be in on the on what that is but you you saw it as an obligation to the film community to at least be part of that conversation <laughs> yes i i wanted to i wanted to approach the You're mater- not supposed to admit to that <laughs> i wanted to approach the material as cinema not as um an adaptation of the book because far too often and i do try to you know distance myself uh, from reading a book and seeing the movie, if you know, there's that. You know, I you know, I first saw Maltese Falcon in high school, but I held off until a couple of years and then read the book. Uh, I was all set to do a, uh, one of my semi periodic rereads of Lord of the Rings when Peter Jackson announced he was doing the movies, and I said, you know what, I'm going to stand back. I'm going to let my memory of the books dim just a little bit more. So I can kind of take in these movies as movies. And I didn't want to read Harry Potter first or as the books were coming out, as the movies were, because I just wanted to kind of experience the whole franchise as as a film. Because every now and then, you and you know, I saw this, I remember just, you know, making a joke about it, but at the time that the first movie came out, but there were people who were very upset that, you know, their little favorite thing of business of you know this little character moment this whatever you know didn't make it into the movie i love peeves but he's absolutely useless (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i love him but he's useless he's a bully there's you know and i i joked was like my joke was like oh harry didn't you know that scene where harry scratches his ear before he goes in to take a test in his potions class didn't make it into the movie the movie sucks and I, I always kind of rebel against that because I'd be like, well, what does the ear scratching mean? If it's nothing that contributes to the movie itself, then it then it needs to go. <laughs> and I sort of felt that way a little bit about, you know, a couple of things here and there in the Chris Columbus stuff. And that gets back to it didn't – those movies kind of felt stayed to me. <laughs> and – um. Sorry, I just kind of lost my train of thought as the cat plopped down there next to me on the floor. Um, but the joys of recording at your home. Yeah, it's true. But I, I think I think the Harry Potters have staying power because they also deal with stories of race and class mm-hmm. um, and family. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, because Harry's family is not family. That is not the family that you want around you. It's toxic as hell. Oh, good God! Yeah, it's it's evil. <laughs> his uh, his blood family is all gone. the The only love that he has are from the family. His mother's sister and her family. Uh, there's no love there. What are you kidding? They're garbage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're kind of garbage. And even so, though, as as the movies go on, we kind of move away from the Dursleys. And then we sort of see, don't they pop up later in the franchise? They pop again? up a few more times. And, and I, there were a I couple of deleted want... scenes in the final film where he says goodbye to them. And God, I wish those scenes had been put back into the movie because it was a great closing moment. Mm-hmm. There was a moment where Dudley says to Uncle Vernon, isn't Harry coming with us? And goes over because he knows it's going to be the last time he sees him. And he thanks him for saving his life. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Harry comes back into the Dursleys' house at one point because he, he's shipping them off for their own good. Yeah. He's old enough now. Voldemort's coming for him head on. And he doesn't want them getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And he looks at Petunia, who's standing in her living room that's completely emptied out. And she goes, this place is the only place I've ever known. And just kind of looks at him and they, they share an eye look and she walks out. And it's it's kind of, I know you're garbage, but I'm doing for you what you did for me. You protected me for all these mm-hmm. years. Now I can return the favor in my way. And, and I don't know why. Maybe it's, you know, my own upbringing. I just kind of wanted them to have like the moment where the, uh, you know, the Dursleys basically apologize. Was like, you know, we, we were wrong. We were shitty. That's and what Dudley does when he, yeah, he says Dudley thank you. Dudley does. Dudley gets it. And I'm, I'm very happy that yeah. that happens. But, you know, I you'd never see it with. Um, they wanted a normal life. Yeah. They wanted a normal life. Mm-hmm. Petunia but, but, is Ron. She got left behind by a sister who was special and we were very connected as kids, but because of this, it tore us apart. Mm-hmm. And this is what all I ever wanted was either to be as good as you or for us to just always be together. Mm-hmm. And that was never going to happen. Now, but is that born out of like her, the love for her sister and the pain she felt when the sister was taken off to Hogwarts? Or was it jealousy? In in the book, she Petunia wrote to Albus Dumbledore herself and asked him to take her as well. That is a piece that was in the book. Okay. That was See, missed that's out. Not a, yeah. Because that would, Because it's not important in the movies. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's not important, but I still feel like the Dursleys in the movie, they feel kind of cartoonish on a certain level. Hmm. It's, you know, and again, yes, yeah, you know, this is a kid's movie overall. We're not, um, you know, looking for complex... Uh, psychological drama here between the Dursleys and Harry or anything like that. But And I love it, Fiona Shaw. <laughs> I know. And you love Fiona Shaw. And Fiona Shaw, if they did something like that, would totally bring it for that. Mm-hmm. But on a certain level, it's kind of like it's hard to take them seriously as characters. Yeah, they're, they're the shitty parents that, you know, the shitty guardians that Harry has to deal with for three months when he comes home on summer break, and then he takes off to Hogwarts again. And, you know, and the movie doesn't even treat them with respect as characters because you have the scene like when in, was it, Prisoner of Azkaban, <laughs> when, you know, the, the aunt, the other aunt shows up 
and is like really shitty. And then Harry, you know, gives Blows her the, her up. the Veruca Salt <laughs> treatment. Um, and then she, you know, floats away. You mean the Violet Beauregard or treatment? Vi- yeah, Violet Beauregard treatment. Excuse I'm me. Veruca Salt. I'm the bad egg. I know. Um, <laughs> You're not supposed to agree with me on that. I'm sorry. Um, but but you know what I'm saying though. You yeah. Know, they. D- oh, please. Um, but yeah, the movie itself doesn't uh, take them seriously as characters. You know, they're cartoonish on a certain level, and it's hard to you know empathize with Harry's situation. Mm. Um, whereas. The books make it sound like they're much more complex. They are. Very and, much so. And all the backstory about Albus and, and Grindelwald and his sister and all of that, it's in the book. Which is why I got so cranky about Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> but um no, the the books are definitely a lot more complex, which is why I was you know, why didn't you ever read them? Because and I you you have a very valid reason for that. So yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. But now that it has been around for so long, would you ever go back and... If I had, had the time. The time. <laughs> You've seen the pile of... Oh, I've seen my uh, my mom and me with a lot of dust yeah. on it. I, I have, you know, a pile of movies to watch. I have an even larger pile of books to read. And, um, you know, like I've always said, my last words are probably going to be, not yet. <laughs> and, and then I die. Um, I still have to read. <laughs> I still have to read through that Ghostbusters compendium. Plump. <laughs> the Saturday Night Live book. <laughs> I didn't that, get so-and-so's autograph on that, the SNL book. That 800-page <laughs> oral history of Battlestar Galactica. I'm halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> um, that Buckaroo those... Bonsai novel oh, I waited 50 years oh. <laughs> sorry that one was really shitty because no, 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 I know no. you're working on that one right yeah. now <laughs> and well the the prose is I don't want to say lugubrious but it's 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 the first couple of chapters are it's really thick writing and I'm slowly taking my time to get through it and to sidebar into this for a moment. Um, there are some fans in some of the online uh, Buckaroo Banzai groups that I'm in who are not happy with this. They just want, I think they want more of a pulpy adventure like the movie was, like the novelization was. Mm. And this is a little bit more dense in terms of writing. And it's a 600 page book. It's kind of like uh, it's a 600- how people see Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's a whole thing uh, <laughs> that I'm you know struggling to get. Th- I don't want to say I'm struggling to get through the book, but it's it's one of those things where I have to. Okay, I have a free hour, and I'm going to denote you know, yeah, dedicate it to just this. Versus, eh, I'm going to read a couple pages before I go to bed. No, this is not that kind of a book. And neither is Tolkien. And I don't want to treat my first time with Harry Potter like bedtime reading either. You want to be able to sit through it. Yeah. I remember when Or the Phoenix, I, I the first books that I actually were around to get as they were coming out was Order of the Phoenix. And then I, I 
got the blast too as they were coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember locking myself in my bedroom when I got Half Blood Prince, and I didn't leave my room for ten hours. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I sat in there on my bed and I devoured that damn book, and then came out and ba- and was bawling my eyes out. Asking my mom where the box of tissues was. Because mm-hmm. you know what comes at the end of Half-Blood Prince. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. And um, uh, I wish that I, I will admit that maybe it's something about getting older. And if you don't exercise that muscle, it kind of weakens. I do find it easier to sit down at the end of a night with a movie or with a, an episode of a TV show than it is to crack open a book. Yeah. Same here. Um, and I and, don't want to become like that, but yeah. it, it does become difficult. And with like Amazon's um, Middle Earth show coming mm-hmm. up uh, next September, uh, you know, I've been kind of skimming back into Tolkien a little bit too. And, you know, it's, that's also stuff, you know, that you don't want to just do as bedtime reading. Um, but, you know, I'm like, okay, I've got the – the nature of Middle Earth, the new book that came out that I want to get through. I want to mm-hmm. kind of maybe go back and read a few things. Um, but I'm kind of a little cautious because we don't know exactly what that's, <laughs> that <laughs> that show is going to be. You're like, I don't, you don't know where to touch upon in yeah, Tolkien's Because I want to, you know, you know, leave myself open to see what they do with it and not just be, well – Galadriel scratched her ear before she went off to do this. And <laughs> What's with the scratching of the ear? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the most inconsequential thing possible that people would get upset about that might have been in a book. They were cleaning know, yeah. the, underneath their fingernail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something are. like that. Something but, different. But, okay, we kind of touched on the fact that both Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter film series got substandard uh, prequel series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still going to go see the rest of... Uh, the Fantastic Beast stuff, just because I'm fascinated again with the world building. I will if too. They keep bouncing, uh, bouncing these characters around to various different parts of the globe. Honey, I it's, have to. I know. Mads Mikkelsen is taking over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Um, that's enough to sign me on. Are you I kidding? <laughs> but. But, yeah, so I'm interested to say, oh, let's see what South America is like in the wizarding world. Let's see what the wizarding world is like in China. That's one of the – like that. That's, I want to see that. That's, that's one of the reasons why I loved uh, Goblet of Fire is because you kind of see – Oh, you see there are Bul- more schools than just Hogwarts. Yeah. Like we have the Bulgarian, Russian – the Slovak sector. Yeah. And then you have, you know, uh, bow battens in, in France. And, you know, it, I want to, yeah, I want to yeah. see more of that. Yeah. What, what's the Egyptian school of magic like? What's, I know. like that the Quidditch World Cup is their version of, you know, the, the World Cup of football. Yeah. Um, except, except I think it, I think the Quidditch Cup, does the Quidditch Cup happen every year? Is that an annual thing? Because no, it's the, not. Okay, in the movie they said it's like the four hundred thirty second Quidditch, and I was like, "That's ridiculous!" If this game has been around since the sixteen hundreds, older, and then it's like, wait, it's older? And then well, we're... think Godric Gryffindor, Helga P- Hufflepuff, Rena Ravenclaw, and Salazar Slytherin were a thousand years ago. Okay, yeah. Mm. They, I'm they, sure, they were the four I'm greatest sure if I, at the time. Later on this evening, if I go home. And I 
I Google, you know, Wizarding World timeline. I'll get all of that. Hon, I can go to my bookshelf right now and pull Quidditch for the, uh, through the ages. And I can tell <laughs> you when that happened. No, that, that... I know you can. That was, that was the... Um, that was the companion book to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm-hmm. And I have the original copy of Quidditch Through the Ages, mm-hmm. which is yes. a wonderful little book. When you crack it open, you actually see like a library card inside with signatures of characters. Yeah, I, 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 yeah oh, I've seen, seen the seen book. It? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, there is that kind of metatextual thing that it's from the world. That, yeah. I love stuff like that. Yeah, me you, too. You've seen my t-shirt collection of t-shirts like, you know, I'd say like Stark Industries Summer Picnic and stuff like that. When I, when I was a kid and I got that book, I feel really bad now that I'm older that I did this, but I kind of defaced it by putting my name under, I think it was Harry or Hermione's was the Aww. last one to, to rent out the book. And so I stuck the shit in there. No. No, that's don't feel bad about that. Okay, from a collectible standpoint, that's terrible, why terrible, terrible. Because I think it's, I think it's but like a first or second edition. As a kid, <laughs> as a kid though, doing that, I wanted it's to be a part of it. Adorable, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's never feel bad about doing that. Um, but I want to get back to here because uh, we have this Lord of the Rings Middle Earth show coming up on Amazon. Yes, uh, Warner Brothers is, and that's you know, a billion dollars or whatever Amazon invested. It's going to be five seasons, what have you. Warner Brothers reportedly is still trying to develop like a TV series for, you know, TV series ideas off of Harry Potter. Um, So obviously these are great stories that resonate with people. They're also IPs owned by companies to be exploited and will be exploited. Mm. Do you ever think we will see a remake of the Harry Potter series or the uh, Lord of the Rings movies? Remakes? Mm -hmm. No. Continuations? Side stories? Prequels? Sequels? Yes. Um, I, I think the Wizarding World and Middle Earth are so big that you can take a small story and make it grand and it doesn't even need to really be connected. I think they are classics. They are icons in themselves, like, like star Wars, like ghostbusters, like star Trek. You can't really remake it. You can only add on to it. Okay. Um, and I'm okay with that. I will say, maybe we'll hear more in at the end of this month, at least. <laughs> oh my God! Did you see the trailer? Oh yeah, for the um the cast reunion thing. I was so happy of, about of that. Harry Potter. I loved them looking at letters as if they were getting their letters from Hogwarts again. Mm-hmm. It just made me feel so warm on the inside and. I am not one to ever want to go to Florida. But recently, as I've been rewatching these movies, the kid inside me who was around when Hogwarts Land first opened and all I could think think and dream about was going to Universal just for that, apart from the mummy ride, because I still want to do that, even though it's <laughs> opened in 2001. I have been recently thinking about... God, I wish I could go down there. 
I, I really would love to stand in front. I would probably weep. I'm thinking about it. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to get teared up right now. But I would probably just stand in front of the glory of Hogwarts and I would feel five years old again. It's, and if I were to get to New Zealand <laughs> <laughs> and get to, quote unquote, the Shire and stand in front of that green door, I I would probably be an emotional wreck myself. That's and thinking about it just now, I'm like, ugh. So, so yeah, so yeah. I know my condo is mm-hmm. kind of... Modern, it's Tudorish, yes. modernish, but yeah, that front door downstairs it gives me <laughs> Hobbit vibes every time I walk through it. They both have staying power. Yeah, they both do. And I hope that generations from now, the lessons that both of these stories can teach will resonate. I, I'm, I'm reasonably sure they will. And I think, though, on that note... That just about wraps us up, up for, for this, this week. week. Yes. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com. And we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next week with more news and reviews. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. And I think I'm going to go make a butter beer now. Ooh.